Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We conclude this brief summer fast of only two weeks with the great feast that marks the death and the translation unto eternal life of her who is the mother of our life. We know the story of Mary as a scriptural event, and we understand that she is the last of the great women of the Old Testament and the first of the great women of the New. She is, in that sense, a bridge. During the great vigil that we serve for this feast, many Old Testament terms that the Church realizes apply to the Virgin Mary are brought up and dwelt upon. She is the ark. She is the ladder stretching from earth to heaven. And all of those glorious images, those icons from the Old Testament are suddenly explained through the life of this woman of that tiny village in Galilee, Nazareth. Mariam, the name that has become glorious throughout all the world. Her true significance is pointed out exactly in the juxtaposition of two separate events in the life of the Gospel. For all the Feasts of the Virgin, we always recall, of course, that the Archangel Gabriel comes to her and announces the good tidings. This is the evangelismos, the evangelization in the West called the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary. We know that she is startled, that she is caught off guard by the Archangel's message, but even thrown off balance by this unbelievable news, she still has enough presence of mind and of heart to submit in obedience to the will of God. No wonder she is such a model for all monastics. What was her agenda? What were her plans before the moment that the archangel mysteriously enters the room where she is working? We don't know. Surely her expectations of her life were not unlike those of other teenage girls of that time and place. But whatever had been her own plans, everything is immediately and instantaneously set aside in that, Be it unto me according to thy word. Here she assumes her rightful place as the last of that line of great women of the Old Testament, whose humble obedience to the word of God and God makes of them all that they are for the Church. This inaugurates, in her own consciousness, the rest of her life, which ends with the celebration of her death today. Later, many years later, when the child who is born of her, who is our God, when the child will be a young man, a glorious young rabbi, as far as many are concerned, in the early years of the public ministry. 
And as often happens in a big Middle Eastern crowd that gathers around a celebrity of sorts, there is a great deal of shouting and yelling and jostling, just as we see even today when we make the pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And now as then, there are certain stark phrases, we would call them epithets, that are bestowed upon those of whom we approve and disapprove. And one of the epithets for those of whom we approve is, Blessed is the womb, the womb that bare thee, and the paps that thou hast sucked. And this was bestowed upon the head of the young rabbi, who in fact, as we know, is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wishes, however, to take what is a pleasantry, a form of politeness, and to endow it with its authentic content. And so he says, Yea, verily, blessed are they who have heard the word of God and kept it. He draws attention to the authentic significance of his mother. She is the one who heard the word of God. And thus, this is her evangelismos, her evangelization. She hears the word of God, of course, from the archangel Gabriel. And he comes to her to give her the word of God in two senses. The word of God that is uttered by the Father uniquely and only for her and the word of God, who is given to her, the word of God which is not a spoken utterance, but who is the pre-eternal Logos of the Father, the second person of the All-Holy Trinity. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It is in her humble obedience to the word of God in that, be it unto me according to thy word, that the Church sees the cosmic significance of the figure of Mary of Nazareth. Here, her humble yes to God's will erases the arrogant no of our first mother, Eve, uttered in paradise, inaugurating the fall of man and of all creation through man. Mary stands then as the eternal listener, the one who eternally hears the word, hears the word, the spoken utterance of the Father, and hears the word who is her own son. I don't have to tell you that vast areas of Christian doctrine are founded exactly on these relationships and on these simple events that inaugurate the New Testament. I don't have to tell you that over the figure of Mary there were great arguments and misunderstandings. It was not easy for the Church to maintain her balance and to stay on a straight course through the fierce hurricanes and tornadoes and storms 
of heresy that swept over the church. But the church, in holding on to that Mary who emerges out of Scripture, who becomes one of the most important parts of the liturgical life of the church, of her piety, of her spirituality, that Mary who is the focus of so many of our own prayers as we beseech her to intercede for us, as she interceded for those who had run out of wine at the wedding of Cana, that she will refer our need, our affliction, our plight, our failure, our weakness to her Son, so that he will turn the water of our life into the wine of eternal life, that she will function exactly in the same way for us. No wonder that we hear of the monks who are up all night in prayer, every moment of the night, beseeching none other than the humble Maryam of Nazareth, that she will add her all-powerful intercession to our weak and sporadic and half-hearted efforts. We pray particularly in the great encyclopedia of the Church's prayers, we pray particularly that Mary of Nazareth, the mother of the Lord and our God and Savior, will be with us at the moment of our death, that she will stand by us during that great moment that awaits each and every one of us, and that she will pray and console us. May her intercessions ever be with you, dear brothers. May she ever be for us an anchor during stormy hours. May our hearts turn to her with spontaneous love and reverence and veneration. And may that piety which is truly, as we say in our clumsy language, Marian, may that piety invest our heart with the same spirit that has informed the hearts of the great monastics of every time and place from the beginning until now. Amen.